Welcome to the how the why. With John Barrett Ingalls. Exploring and celebrating the creative process and the creative purpose of authors, editors, artists, and publishers that make up and inspire the 1888 family. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get creative. Welcome to the How, the Why, brought to you by 1888. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected again, and it's my pleasure to be connected again with Mr. William Brandon III, the managing editor for 1888. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, John. Um, I had to give my like full like authoritative radio voice for you. That's uh, that's what you deserve. I appreciate it immensely. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, your new role. So last time we chatted, we were talking about silence. The book had just come out, and we uh, uh, I gave uh, like rave reviews. I don't know. In my opinion, I did because I really liked it. Uh, but um, thank you. Um, now you took on a new role, like uh, over this last year in 2015, or was it like at the end of 2014 where you took on the role of managing editor? It was, yeah, end of 2014. Um, so talk about your new role with the company. And, you know, the company itself has gone through some changes as well, but talk about your new role and, and how that fits in with everything that Black Hill Press slash 1888 is turning into. Certainly. Um, I started out, uh, I began working with uh, 1888 and Black Hill Press as, uh, as a layout person. I was in charge of taking the raw manuscripts and getting them laid out for print and also for ebook. And then, uh, then silence happened and I ended up becoming an author and expanded my duties after that took on editing. I did uh, one of Kevin's novellas, and then since then I've done uh, four now, I believe, if I'm uh, correct. And then shortly after that, there were some changes that went on with the company, and a position came open as a managing editor. I took that over, and in essence, I basically oversee taking care of all the needs of the authors and the editors, getting them joined up, together to finish the projects and trying to help manage the time and uh, deal with the deadlines and uh, answer any questions that anybody has and kind of put things to bed, so to speak, as far as that goes, uh, as well as having a role in choosing who we publish. And now, now that we have expanded some, we made a command decision to try to pare down what we published a little bit. Uh, when I first started, we were, our output was somewhere along the lines of 12 to 16 publications per year. Mm. And what we realized is that 
as a group of people who are working, you know, primarily off their own passion, that it made a lot more sense for us to do less, uh, do fewer publications, and make sure that, that they're of the, of the highest quality, and make sure we had time to get the word out so that uh, people knew what we were up to ahead of time and could expect it. And um, with the company itself, we've had a, a great many changes. 1888 is now a nonprofit, so uh, that was a, a major accomplishment uh, for the organization, and it gave us the ability to start expanding our mission. Uh, it was only a publishing company to begin with, and now things have really taken off, and we are working very hard on creating a cultural center in the city of Orange. Uh, Kevin is working very hard right now securing a building uh, so that we can further our mission of trying to educate and form a community of, of artists and writers and uh, people who are interested in the literary arts as well. So we're in the planning stages of offering classes and uh, putting together a, a bookstore that will feature uh, Black Hill Press and 1888 publications, as well as other publications that we that we know and love that that sort of fit into the novella genre. So it's incredibly exciting times right now. Very busy. Um, poor Kevin is working his uh, backside off, which uh, we expect from him, but he definitely deserves a lot of credit for everything that's been going on. Now you also took over the uh, our annual collection of the cost of paper as well. You took that over last year for volume two. Um, as the the editor for it, and you're a, the editor for the one that's about to be released as well. Now talk about talk about the cost of paper and uh, uh, what it was and what it's becoming now. Absolutely, um, the cost of paper originated as uh, an idea that Kevin had, and what he wanted to do was take the collective creativity of everyone who's involved in Black Hill Press and try to put out an annual publication of short stories that would showcase everyone's talent, you know, uh, you know, gin up interest in, in the publication they already had and, you know, be a very fun project for all of us to be involved in uh, with a group effort as opposed to an individual effort. And the first Cost of Paper was edited by um, our very dear friend Ryan Gaddis, and it was the mission of that project was to basically stick to people who had already been published by Black Hill Press. And for Volume Two, uh, Kevin asked me if I would would be interested in curating that, and and I jumped at the chance, and it was a amazing experience. I had a, a great deal of fun. Um, and what I did with Volume 2 was a little bit different. I pulled in some people who were not necessarily affiliated with, with 1888. Uh, some of them became affiliated later through putting up fellows out. But I wanted to try to expand things. And it was very successful. I was very, very proud of, of uh, Volume 2. And this time around, Kevin and I had a lot of discussions, and we decided that for Volume 3, 
we wanted to try to grow even more. So we changed the format from, you know, persons that we were directly involved in to a submission format. And so for volume three, I'm very excited about putting this out. Uh, we're shooting for February 1st. It should come out. But we have people from all over the world, as far as India, all over the United States. Uh, some people are names that the readers will recognize from the Black Hill Press family, and some folks are, are brand new. And they just, it was very edifying. Uh, you never know what's going to happen when you switch from curation to submission. And we had some stellar submissions this time around, and some people who, um, you know, I, I feel the world would be remiss if they didn't read their writing. So that's, mm -hmm. that's always a very nice uh, problem to come up against. And so this time around, like I was saying, we opened up the submission, so it should be a much more uh, varied grouping. We have a lot of different styles represented. We even have a couple of um, micro pieces that are, you know, less than a hundred words. There's some experimental stuff and also a, a great deal of traditional storytelling. And the other major change that we, uh, that the project underwent is initially we were doing a separate artist cover for every volume. And then, uh, Kevin discovered a German artist who literally created a font that's folded paper, hmm. which was very inspiring. And we touched base with him, and he really loved the idea of the project. So moving forward, we'll be using his font to do the cover for Cost of Paper. And everyone will see it when it comes out. Uh, you'll love it. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And a very good representation of the work we do and uh, the contributors' work and also a very good representation of what 1880 has expanded to, which is, you know, basically a program of outreach to bring people together and, and form a literary community in Southern California, which unfortunately has been missing for a long time. Um, Los Angeles has a very robust literary community, but it's not very cohesive. Um, there's a lot of um, uniqueness and the individual projects don't really touch each other unless we all get together and have a beer. Whereas what we're trying to do with 1888 is have a be a true community effort and include a lot of other people, you know, include a lot of other ideas and as much as possible, you know, try to represent the literary arts as they are, you know, a, a group of very individual ideas that um, are brought together into a single place. So you're talking about the artist, uh, Constantine Datz is his name, correct? Correct, Constantine Yes. Yeah. Um, so this, so I'm looking at the cover right now, this is a font that he created. Correct, I independent of, of knowing about us at all. That is amazing. I mean, it, it is. fits so perfectly for everything that we're doing with this this uh, anthology. Um, now, so we you branched out in 
with uh, uh, volume two, um, and you said that you're kind of expanding, you know, trying to expand the family, but branch out outside. But you still will are are honoring this uh, family that that started, uh, you know, back when Black Hill Press first began, you know, and 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 it's it's cool that there is still that element of you know holding true to and and being faithful to those artists and, and authors who were there at the beginning and then also reaching out. Um, uh, with this new journal and with uh, accepting submissions, were you surprised at how many submissions you received? We, I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, Workload-wise, it was it was interesting to watch it all build up, and you you always hope that through the submission process that you that you are still pulling in a lot of really good work. And one of the reasons that you would want to curate is that you have absolute control. You know, you in essence are asking people who have already proven in a way that. Uh, that they're a good fit for the publication. So, you know, I had a little bit of anxiety, didn't know what to expect as far as the submissions, and the folks that have already worked with us really came out in force. We have a great deal of submissions, like I was saying, from people that readers will recognize as being already affiliated with us. Um, some of the authors have just recently been published with us in the last couple of years, and then we also had some absolutely incredible submissions from people whom we ne wouldn't necessarily have ever had any contact with except through the submission process. Um, you know, a few of which are incredibly accomplished artists. And that was one of the reasons we tried to do it that way was we wanted to make sure that we didn't miss out on individuals who had not yet been affiliated with us you know, who, sure. who could contribute in such a good way. And that's one of the geniuses, one of the genius things behind the way Kevin is is cultivating 1888 is not only do we want to, as you mentioned, honor and, and continue to publish, you know, the, the great writing of people that we're aware of, we also want to continue to expand. Um, you know, it's, Living in a vacuum is, is never good creatively, and it would be very easy to just have 10 people who we love, who we work with well, who do good work, and just continue to publish those, but then you really miss out on the opportunity to read new work by people, and one of the missions of, of the publication is to make sure that people who are out there who may not have a, a traditional way to be published can be heard and can be given an opportunity to have their writing published um, as they deserve, as opposed to the traditional struggle of, you know, fighting and fighting and fighting and realizing that you're getting cut out because somebody doesn't know who you are. Sure. Um, was there any, uh, like, seeking out of authors or solicitation for this? volume or was it all just submissions? Uh, there were a few emails that I ended up writing 
and it was primarily the people who we had already worked with because I wanted to make sure that if they were already affiliated with us and were not completely aware that something was coming up, that, that we at least gave them an opportunity to, to send a submission in. But aside from that, um, really it was, it was all submission and it's a, it's an incredible anthology and the idea behind it, which I, I failed to mention earlier, the cost of paper is named that because we print the anthology literally for the for the cost of the paper that it's printed on. So it's a nonprofit effort and all the submissions are donated um, you know, in the spirit of community. Hmm. I know with the first volume and and the second, like uh one of the themes or one of the things that came up was with those authors who were a part of the Black Hill Press family, they were writing continuations of their their novellas or or short stories that existed in the world of the novellas that they wrote. Is that still a part of uh, what uh, people are doing with the cost of paper? It it's something uh, that was something that was available uh, to authors and. As you mentioned, with the first copy of paper, one of the things, one of the parts of the mission was that if it was possible, we did want to see a short story from someone that that continued on something that we'd already published. So, for instance, in the first copy of paper, I did a short story that followed a character in silence, and it was a character that. Uh, out that you've read the book, so you'll remember Celine, uh, the love interest um, mm-hmm. of Dean, towards the middle of the story. Uh, my submission followed the next 24 hours of her life because uh, her part in the book kind of comes to an end, and you are left to wonder a little bit, like, oh my gosh, like what happened to this person? She was very important in the story. So that was a great deal of fun, and I really enjoyed doing that. And with volume two and now volume three. We diminished the focus on that, and we're trying to accomplish more of a a, a purely short story-based anthology. So there were some folks that did a continuation in two. I don't believe we have one. We had a couple submissions that were continuations uh, for number three, but primarily it's all original short stories. Are there parameters at all for writers uh, other than word count? Like, is there, nope, know, absolutely uh, not. I mean, uh, are you looking yeah, for primarily fiction or are you open to nonfiction essays as well as long as they're in story format? Certainly. Uh, we, we didn't specifically say fiction. Um, we alluded that it, it was a, a fiction anthology we didn't have any nonfiction submissions this time around, so we didn't didn't ever have to really make that decision. Um, I we would be open to that absolutely. If someone had a stunning essay that just happened to be true, we absolutely <laughs> would have considered it. That that would not be a deal breaker by any means. But primarily, the word count was the only was the only limitation we put on that. And again, that's this is all in the effort to be as expansive as possible. You know, for instance, 
one of the submissions uh, that's in, in the anthology, the final cut, is only one sentence. And it is an incredibly well-written, robust sentence that, that carries someone all the way through a, a week of their life. So, hmm. you know, if, if we had put too many parameters, I really think we would have missed out on things like that. Um, that was one of the micro pieces. We had another micro piece that is about a paragraph long, and that was submitted by someone who's done copy edit work with us, and it's just an incredibly beautiful paragraph about winter in general and the experience of winter, whereas we also have, you know, some incredibly complicated, you know, sort of experimental stories as well. And myself personally as managing editor, one of the things I don't like to do is put too many restrictions because I think that it's very easy as a contributor to talk yourself out of whether or not your piece will be a good fit. And when you have to read through three or four pages of guidelines and, and what is or isn't okay for a certain anthology, you do have a situation where you might talk yourself out of it. And what I really wanted to do was pull as many minds as possible in so that the anthology took its shape based on what people submitted rather than the other way around. Sure. Uh, you know, for, in, for instance, one of my favorite publications, uh, Granta, from the UK, has um, each volume has a theme, you know, travel or escape or politics or what we think about certain things. And I love that, and it, it's a very excellent curation tool. But we wanted to kind of go the other direction and let let the anthology represent what people sent to us rather than kind of curtailing it based on some arbitrary guidelines. But then do you find when you're going through the submissions and selecting the pieces and then selecting where they fit into the anthology, do you find themes start kind of being created just, you know, by by the happenstance of the collective unconscious or, you know, the are there these things that uh, play into where your pieces will, where each piece will lie in the anthology? Absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned that. I was doing that last night, and I've gotten through the uh, the entire process. Um, all the copy editing has been done. Uh, all the the final pieces have been chosen, and then I sat down last night with the list of of pieces that I've read at least 10 times each and read a few more times last night. And I went through the process of trying to decide, okay, you know, based on on a kind of a flow because, you know, the reality is you are putting out a singular publication and just like you would do, uh, you know, for an album, you know, it's, it's incredibly important. Your first song makes a difference. You know, you're, if someone doesn't like the first song, they're not going to hear the second song. And if they don't like the song you put in the middle, they may not hear your big finale at the end. So I spent a, a great deal of time thinking about how things flow together. And in particular, this anthology had a lot of uh, individual themes. There are some very intimate and heartfelt uh, treatises on, on relationships and, and personal interactions. And then we, on the other side of the coin, we have some incredibly uh, playful pieces that 
one in particular I'll just go ahead and mention is a first-person narrative. A person is talking about how they kind of got conned by this person, and it turns out through the story that they are continuing the con by making you read their story. So hmm. it was it was a lot of fun to to try to read through it and and get a feel of how do these pieces fit together. You know, does this one flow into the next? You know, will it flow into the next one? Does that need to be more in the middle? Is this the beginning? Is this the end? And for me, that's that's a big a big part of being the editor of the anthology is giving it a voice, like you mentioned, and it does it. It takes on its own voice. Once you have the pieces that are going to go in the anthology, the next part is you know how do they all fit together? And sure. as a, as always, the goal is the ideal is that someone picks it up and they start on page one and they read all the way through to the end. So I always try to personally envision it in that way uh, to curate the experience as well. But the beauty of uh, the cost of paper as well is that all of these stories are available on the 1888 website. Correct, correct. Um, once the anthology is released, uh, all the pieces go up in digital form on the website as well. So in addition to being a $5 anthology, uh, which again is literally the, the cost of production itself, uh, we also offer the stories up for free uh, digitally on the website. Yeah, one, one of the big things is uh, the traditional mindset is you have to kind of fence in the creative work so that you're able to capitalize on the profit as much as possible. And what what we are trying to do is get writing out there. So any way we can find to make sure that you know these people's beautiful words are read by as many people as possible, you know, we're we're willing to take those steps. And that really was the genesis of the idea of having you know the cost of paper be a not for profit anthology. We wanted to try to take away any barriers or limitations. It's sure. really hard to find a you know 150 page book for five dollars. That's just the reality of of the world we live in. So it excites us to be able to work with so many people who you know give their time and participate on on such a important um, level with us, and who are willing you know, to get their writing out there and have people read it and not concerned about, oh, geez, well, this isn't going to pay my mortgage. <laughs> well, William, it's it's exciting. I look forward to uh, the release of the volume three. Um, and, uh, you know, for any listeners out there interested in submitting, we will start accepting submissions uh, later on in this year, at the end of the year, correct? Around... Uh, Fall. That's correct. Uh, November, uh -huh. November through uh, October, November are the submission periods, and then uh, again we we shoot for the beginning of February for publication. That's so exciting! So definitely, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I love talking to you, and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, chat with me again. And we'll look forward Likewise, to a third friend. conversation. <laughs> anytime, anytime. <laughs> this has been the How the Why by 1888. 
I'm John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanek and yours truly, with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The music is Mayalua by Bossa Zuzu. I wanted to thank everybody for your creativity and your inspiration, and to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.